Make sure I'm working here on my microphone, okay? Let's see. So, just so you know, all the sound equipment was installed two weeks ago. We have not yet received our training, so we're figuring out. That's why we might have some technical difficulties here and there. How am I doing on the microphone? Okay. All right, trusty yellow, it is. So this morning we're going to start a new four-part series, our Advent series for this year. The official start to Advent was actually last Sunday, but this is a very special year. It's special given that now in 2016, Christmas falls on a Sunday. So... Yes, we will be having a Christmas Day service. We're not canceling it. Feel free on that Sunday, show up in your pajamas, bring your hot chocolate. That'll be totally fine. It actually will be a Lessons and Carol service on December 25th. We'll be hearing the Christmas story read, reaching back into the Old Testament, forward into the birth of Christ, and singing uh, the, the carols of the season. So no classes, no child care that day. One big family service on that Sunday. I'm really looking forward to it. I love Christmas. On that Sunday, I'll be preaching the fourth, the last uh, message in this series. So to start this new series, I thought we'd begin with a quiz. Everybody excited for that? I don't know if you are a multiple choice person, if you prefer short answer or essay, but this is going to be a very short quiz. One question, fill in the blank. God blank us. We already got answers. That was fast. God blank us. How would you fill in the blank? How would you fill in the blank? Not just with the right answer, which you think is the right answer, but from your own experience. Your own experience this morning, today. Many answers we could give. I, I heard loves. God loves us. God forgives us. God made us. God redeemed us. We could say God is over us, God is above us, He is holy. And if we're honest from our experience, we might, we might also answer God distant from us. God confusing to us. Or maybe God not pleased about us. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you're exploring the Christian faith... Maybe sometimes you've gotten the impression, maybe from other Christians, or your impression of Christianity in general, is God is against us. God judges us. Or maybe you're struggling and you feel like God is irrelevant to us. Our Advent series this year is going to be focused on how Matthew fills in the blank. As he tells the story of the birth and the infancy of Jesus. In chapter 1, a little bit after what we just read, in verse 23, Matthew tells us, really what is the theme, not only of the story he's telling in his gospel, the story of the birth and the narrative of the infancy of Jesus, but the story of the whole gospel. God with us. That one word can change. Not only how we view God, but how we experience Him. But before we get to verse 23, we'll look at that next week in the birth of Jesus. Matthew starts his gospel off in what to us is probably a very odd and strange way. With the 
this giant long list of hard to pronounce names this genealogy and so you may have been scratching your head well so he was reading that going what is this how is this relevant how is this important which by the way we already gave her the applause but she probably gets scripture reader of the year for tackling that one so Matthew begins with the genealogy what a strange way to start if you're deciding whether to buy a book or to read a book then what do you do you probably pick it up you look at the cover you turn it over to the back, you look at the endorsements, you read the summary. What I like to do is I like to read the first couple pages in the book and decide, do I want to keep going? And so here you pick up this book. Imagine if you picked up a biography and the first couple pages were just a list of names, a genealogy. I would imagine you would say, I'm putting this one down, <laughs> moving on to the next one. That is boring. Now, Matthew 1. It's not only the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew and the story of Jesus. But it's actually, in terms of the order of the, of the Bible, it's the beginning of the New Testament. So in God's wisdom, He said, this is what I want first. When you turn the page from Old to New Testament, this is what you're going to find. Over 400 years of silence, there's 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. Now you would expect something very dramatic, right? Something to grab your attention and go, here it is, this is what we've been waiting for, this is what we've been waiting to hear. And you have this genealogy. And you might go, that doesn't sound very dramatic or exciting at all. What's going on? Well, in fact, when we learn the context here, we'll see that this is, in fact, an extremely dramatic beginning. Let me convince you of that and give you two reasons. One... What's the meaning of a genealogy, especially in this time? Now, when you first encounter or meet somebody at a party, at a social networking kind of thing, what do we do? We're kind of measuring people up, right? Who are you? What do you do? What's your name? Where do you come from? We're, we're learning somebody's credentials. Now, in a modern culture, the way that we earn our credentials and our name is through our accomplishments, our titles, our resumes, our success. In a traditional culture like this was written to, Matthew was written to, credentials were based on what family you came from and what they accomplished and who they were. And so the Messiah had to have the right credentials, the right pedigree, the Messiah had to be a son of David and a son of Abraham. And Matthew was written to a Jewish audience. And they were wondering, if you have something to say to me about somebody who's important, if he's going to be the Messiah, you need to prove that he has the right pedigree. And Matthew is doing that right here. So he had their attention. But there's more than that. In the title of this genealogy, if you look again at verse 1, 1-1, one, one, we see that this is in fact a very dramatic beginning to the story. The drama, believe it or not, is in the word genealogy. Do we feel it? Let me, let me tell you why. The word many argue in our, that's translated genealogy should in fact in our Bibles be translated Genesis. Matthew, by using this word, this word Genesis is intentionally echoing 
the first book of the Bible, which is, in fact, structured by genealogies. Genesis 2-4, Genesis 5-1. And so we could read it as the book of the Genesis of Jesus Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. This is a book of a new creation, Matthew is saying. A new beginning, the real beginning of all history. But was promised to Abraham, blessing to all nations, that all races and ethnicities will be reconciled to God and to each other. It's come in Jesus. What was promised to David, an everlasting kingdom that will usher in a time of justice, shalom, peace, restoration to the whole world forever has come in Jesus. That's all packed into that one word, genealogy. And Matthew's trying to give us a very dramatic beginning. So in his genealogy, Matthew is giving us a preview of the whole gospel. And he is showing us how God is with us, even when we most struggle to believe it. How God is with us, even when we most struggle to experience it. I want to see how he does that. I want to show how he does this. Three ways that we're going to look at this morning. If you're following along in your outline, you'll see those points listed for you. God is with us always, even when he seems absent. Secondly, even where we least expect him. And thirdly, even when we hide from him. So first, God is with us always, even when he seems absent. Some of the most difficult times in our lives for us are when God seems absent, when He seems far off, when He seems to not be concerned about the things that are happening in our lives. Where He's nowhere to be found, that's how it feels. And for some of you, that might be right now, how you're feeling this morning. If you're a Christian, one of the main questions you might have is, why don't I feel... God as being close. If you're here and you're not a Christian this morning, you're still exploring and asking questions. One question you might have about parts of your life and parts of your story is, where, where was God in that? Now, addressing those questions is very complex, but Matthew's genealogy is telling us God is never absent. Specifically, he's saying, God is always present, and he's working in his timing and in our trials. First, in his timing. One of the things we notice about this genealogy, when we hear it read especially, is we feel like, this is pretty long. When is it going to end? This is really long. It covers a long period of time, from Abraham to Jesus, over 2,000 years. And even this long list is just a summary of those years. The phrase, the father of, doesn't mean literally father-son relationship, but means an ancestor of. So biblical genealogies are often selective, and they're often summaries. And so what we see is, if, for us, from our vantage point, it took a long time for God to fulfill His promise and His plan. And the message here is that He did. And along the way, He wasn't absent. He was present. He was working in His timing to accomplish His purposes. And so what we learn is that God fulfills His promises. He accomplishes His purposes on His timetable and not ours. It's so important. It's so hard, but it's so important for us to remember. 
and to hold on tight. When we struggle with how are God's purposes, how are His promises aligning with my present circumstances, how does this make sense? We're in the season of Advent. Advent is a season that's meant to train us in the lost art of waiting and longing. Waiting is such an important part of how we connect with God and how we grow in our relationship with Him. We have Advent calendars. Maybe some of you use Advent calendars. We have chocolate ones at our house. We also have a countdown that's up, a decoration that count down, count down the days to Christmas. Now there is often intense discussion in our home about whose finger should be the one turning down that dial. And whether it's Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, so that can result in very spirited moments in the Kapoor home. But Advent teaches us that Christmas, just the celebration of Christmas, is that much more sweet and that much more meaningful because of the waiting. As we've been waiting for it, we've been longing for it. It teaches us that immediate gratification isn't always, often, what's best for us. And the same is true spiritually, the same is true with our relationship with God. It's in the waiting that we learn and that we discern what God is saying to us. Sometimes God is telling us, in His timing, not yet, because you're not ready. Sometimes God is telling us, not yet, not that, because I have something better. And sometimes God is telling us, not here that's waiting for you beyond this world. It's in the waiting that we learn those things. Matthew's genealogy also tells us that God is with us in our trials. He is not absent. The genealogy, if you look at it again, is broken into three parts. It has Abraham to David, David to Jeconiah and Babylon, and then Babylon to Jesus. And what's significant about this here is that the first two parts, they're filled with names. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, as Matthew's audience was, they would recognize these names. They would say, okay, I know Abraham and these kings. They're familiar to me. But the third section of this genealogy, after Zerubbabel, is filled with names that nobody would have known. This third section, it covers the lowest and the darkest time in Israel's story. When they were exiled from the land. It was the most hopeless point in the story of Israel. God records and wants us to know about these names that were completely unknown before. Why? I think it's to tell us that these people, that these years were not unknown to Him. God wasn't absent in the dark ages of Israel's story. And the same is true for us in our dark seasons and our dark times. One of the most remarkable parts of the history of Christianity in this country, in America, comes out of one of the darkest and the worst parts in our story, in our national story, and that's American slavery. African slaves were often allowed or probably forced to go to church with their masters. And when they went to these churches, often what they would hear was not the gospel message, but was a message telling them to obey their masters. But somehow, despite all that, there was still a longing and an interest in the gospel. And so what they did was they formed these secret churches. We read about these in many African slave journals. They would be in the swamps. They'd be in the forest. They'd have to keep quiet. 
Sky Jathani, who wrote a book called With, he tells us how some of these gatherings looked. They called them hush harbors. And in these hush harbors, they would say, we don't have the songbooks, as one of the slaves said, but the Lord done give us our songs, and when we sing them at night, it's just whispering, so nobody hear us. Many of the songs focused on God's presence with them in their trials. One of the journals records these lyrics. He have been with us, Jesus. He's still with us, Jesus. He will be with us, Jesus. Jesus be with us to the end. It's in our trials when we might be tempted to think that God is absent, that He's abandoned us. Matthew wants to show us He has not. He is present. He knows. And He's there. He's been with us, Jesus. He's still with us, Jesus. He will be with us, Jesus, with us to the end. And often in our trials, His presence becomes more real to us than ever before. And that's the message of the Incarnation. The message Matthew wants to show us. That's point one. God is with us always, even when He seems absent. Secondly, God is with us always, even where we least expect Him. In this genealogy, Matthew does something very rare and completely unexpected. He mentions four women, five if you count Mary. In a patriarchal society, it mattered more who your fathers were, not your mothers. And so Matthew is doing something completely unparalleled. It was so unexpected he would mention women in the genealogy of the Messiah, but it was even more unexpected which women he chose to mention. If you look at the passage with me, you'll see some of these. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and the wife of Uriah, whom we know as Bathsheba. These four women are never mentioned together in any known Jewish text. So he's doing something completely different, completely unexpected. Who are these women? Let's give a little bit of background to their stories. Tamar, we learn in Genesis 38, in desperation to have children, had twins by her father-in-law, Judah. Rahab was a Canaanite prostitute who welcomed the spies from Jericho. Ruth was from a nation called Moab, which was a sworn enemy of Israel in the Old Testament. And the wife of Uriah, who was a Hittite outside of um, Jewish descent, her name was Bathsheba, and she was the woman, woman with whom King David committed adultery and had her husband murdered to cover it up. That's a little bit about their stories. What do they have in common? Well, at least two things. None of them have pure Jew Jewish lineage. They all come from outside of Israel. They were all considered outsiders. And secondly, he would say they all have somewhat of a questionable past, a checkered past and story. If Matthew wanted to give a respectable pedigree, a clean pedigree, so to speak, for the Messiah, he would have pointed to the matriarchs of Israel. He would have said Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, and Rachel. What's the point? These are not the kind of stories where we would expect God to be present. 
These are not the kind of stories where we would expect God to say, I am there. I'm in that. God is saying to us, just as I've always been, even more so in Jesus, look for me where you least expect me. What we think is outside of God's reach, what we think is outside of God's grace, outside of God's purpose, is actually inside and a part of all those things. So for us, where do you least expect God to work in your life right now? Is there something you believe, something you live like is outside of His reach where you've given up? A relationship, a struggle. Matthew is saying, never give up. Nothing, no one is ever outside of God's reach. He is actually present. He is with you. He is at the places and in the places where you least expect Him to be. Thirdly, Matthew wants us to know that God is with us always, even when we hide from Him. As Matthew presents the credentials of the Messiah in this story of Israel in the family tree, he doesn't gloss over the ugly parts, as we saw. In fact, he seems to go out of his way to bring these up, when he didn't even have to. And when it comes to our names, to our credentials in life, don't we love to see our names in places where we get the credit? My name is on that program for that banquet. There's even that whole line of books, the who's who books, where you pay money to have your name in a book of a list of names. And all of us, you got to be honest, when you got that letter from who's who, whenever, whenever it came, you were like... Yeah, I might do that. Who's who? I want to be in a who's who book. A number of years ago, I had a chance um, to help with the creation of this new Greek New Testament uh, that was being published. And I worked on just two of the books. One of them was Matthew with a little tool um, that was the new part. And so I was working with a friend of mine on that. And when I got the Greek New Testament in the mail and it came to my house, I was excited to receive it. And what was the first thing that I looked for? <laughs> Is my name in here? I was disappointed to find out. Nowhere to be found. <laughs> And that is probably a shameful thing to say. The first thing I was looking for in the Bible that showed up to my house was my own name. But I think we all share uh, some of that when it comes to our names and our credentials. When it comes to the credentials of the Messiah, there were two names, above all names, that you had to have in your pedigree. Judah and David. All, all Jewish people were descended to Abraham. That was kind of a given. But if you were truly the Messiah, you needed those two names. According to the prophets, according to the promises, the Messiah had to come from Judah and from David. If, you, if they weren't there, you were a pretender, you were a fake, just step down. What's shocking about how Matthew includes Judah's name and David's name in the list of credentials is that he highlights the lowlights of their stories. The parts of their stories that they would want to hide. The parts of the story that would bring them great shame. He did not have to mention Tamar, but he did. A story more about Judah's failure uh, than Tamar's. 
Especially, he did not have to mention the name Uriah. He could have said Bathsheba. He said the wife of Uriah. He went out of his way to highlight David's greatest failure. And you can just kind of imagine the scene of when Matthew passed away, when Matthew died, the gospel writer, he went up into heaven and everybody welcomed him and said, Matthew, we heard you wrote a book. That's great. Yeah, I've got a copy. Let me show you. And Judah and David are there and they let me take a look at that. Where's mine? Why you got to do that? Why you do me like that? So why, the question is, presenting the credentials of the Messiah, why would God... Inspiring this book through Matthew, the author, go out of his way to bring attention to their most shameful and lowest points. I think this is the answer. By including what he did and how he did it, Matthew is saying we don't have to hide anything from God. Any part of us, any part of our story. He is with us, even in the parts of our lives where we feel shame and what we most want to hide. He's showing us this to tell us here at the beginning of the gospel to be a part of Jesus' family. It's by grace alone. It's not by anything we do. We don't earn a place in this family. And he wants us to see how God chose to work and to accomplish his plan through these low points in these people's stories. A few thoughts I wanted to share by way of a slide. Oh, I can't see it over there. It's over there now. The next few slides. What do we learn from this? We don't have to hide. God is no more with us in our successes and spiritual highs than he is in our failures and spiritual lows. There it is. He's always with us and he uses all of us. All of it. Second, God uses broken, flawed people with failure in their stories. He is not ashamed of it, the failure, or them. Not only is he not ashamed of it, he's proud to display them and honor them as his own. Martin Luther, the reformer from the 16th century, reflected on this passage, and here's what he said in the third bullet point. He said, Oh, Christ is the kind of person who is not ashamed of sinners. In fact, he even puts them in his family tree. So here, in chapter 1, in a long list of names, Matthew is showing us the very heart of the gospel. That in Jesus, we have a new name and a new beginning. We have a name, a place in Jesus' family tree because of his credentials, not ours. On Ancestry.com, they feature this one woman's testimonial. Her name is Emily. And she said, Holy crow, I'm related to George Washington. That was what they had. Why is that so exciting to somebody to learn that? All of a sudden you feel, if I'm related to George Washington, I feel more special. I feel more significant. In Jesus, our value, our significance, our identity is found in being related to him. Matthew is saying, this is our family tree. We are in because he has covered our sin, he has covered our shame by his perfect life and death in our place. In closing, look at verse 17 with me. 
what is the deal with all these 14s? What is, what is Matthew trying to tell us? There's a few ideas out there. I think the best explanation is that we have here multiples of seven. And Jesus is at the end of the seventh seven. Seven, that number in the Bible, is a number of completion and fullness. Matthew is saying, in Jesus we have a new beginning. Jesus brings to fulfillment all that was promised. All that came before him. He is a new Genesis. He is a new Adam. He is a new humanity. In him, there is always a new beginning. So whatever has happened in your life up until now, whatever happened this week, whatever happened this morning, no matter how many times you've fallen or struggled or failed, there is a new beginning in Jesus. Because in Jesus, God is with us always. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this part of your word. At first it seems strange. And it seems like it might have no value to us. But here in it we find that you want to tell us that you are with us. And I pray this morning, where we are struggling to see that you are with us, where you might feel far and distant, places we've given up, places we want to hide, I pray you would draw near to us to encourage us. I pray that you would draw near to us, that we would sense your comforting presence, and that we would know that we are held and we are gripped tight by your unfailing love. Thank you for that truth. May it transform not only our theology of you, but may it break through into our souls, into our hearts. May it be the truth that we live by. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.